It was a dark and stormy night. Well, it was dark. That was the point, after all. The men that had gathered outside Mexicali to try and cross the border unseen at night were hoping that the moonless sky would cover them. The moment the first headlights appeared over the ridge, they knew that it was border control come to get them, so they scattered dozens of them, and they all got rounded up, all save one, whose name of all things was Jesus. Jesus ran and ran and ran as far and as hard as he ever had, and when morning came, he realized he was in trouble because he had no idea which direction he'd run in, and he was stuck out now in the desert without food, with only a single bottle of water and no notion of how to get back to civilization. He wandered for three or four days, and just when he had sat down on the desert floor beneath a tree ready to give up and die like Jonah, headlights appeared, a red pickup come up over the horizon, and he didn't care who it was. He'd happily go back home now if that's what this was all about. But, but the stranger that stepped out appeared like he might be white. He had blue eyes and somewhat fair hair. But he spoke perfect Spanish and helped Jesus back into his truck, gave him some water and something to eat, and told him to rest while he took him somewhere safe. When he woke, Jesus discovered that they were parked near a strawberry farm. And the man said, I know these people, you can trust them. They'll take care of you. You go in there, you work this season. You save enough money and you go back home. And the man said, what can I ever do to repay you? And the stranger in the pickup said, when you go back to Mexico, go to Jalisco and find the church of Santa Ana de Guadalupe and you'll find me there. You can pay me back when, when you find me. 
And so the man did as he was told. He went inside. He told the people at the farm that the man with the blue eyes and the red pickup left me and said I should stay here. He worked the season, saved enough money, got back home safely, and went on this pilgrimage to Santa Ana de Guadalupe. And when he entered the church, he was shook to the core because there was a photograph of the man who'd picked him up in the pickup over the altar. He's a saint of the Catholic Church and has been dead for almost 100 years. Santo Toribio Romo, Saint Toribio. Now, there's two reasons I tell that story today. The first is it's become something of a tradition here to tell a ghost story on the Sunday closest to Halloween. But the other reason is because this Sunday, the Sunday closest to Halloween, is important in the life of our parish specifically. When the parish was established, the Feast of Christ the King was this Sunday, not in a month. And it was because Christ was seen first as King of all the saints, King of all righteous souls. And so, in the history of the parish, this Sunday is very important. And this Sunday can help us see more clearly the love that led St. Toribio to die. See, Toribio, as I said, was fair. He looked white, and, and in a certain sense he was. His family was more recently arrived to Mexico from Spain, which meant that when the government shut down all the churches and tried to expel all the priests, he had an easy out. He could have crossed the border, and nobody would have ever known the difference. He probably could have died a fat and happy monsignor in California. But he chose to stay. He chose to stay knowing it meant almost certain death. And it did. They murdered him for celebrating Mass secretly. One doesn't die that way out of spite or anger or frustration, however much in the midst of a life or death crisis we might be struggling. One can only find the courage to die that way for love. Love with all one's heart and soul and mind and strength. Love which leads to love of neighbor as self. Sometimes, I'll be honest, the Lord sounds a bit naive in giving this commandment, at least to me, because there are days that I wake up that it would be very dangerous for me to treat you the way that I treat myself because I don't always like myself so well. There are other days when I'm so fixed on my own desires, on my own wants, on my own needs, on the stuff I want to see gets done, that if I love anyone with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's just me. Which is why the love that leads someone even to die, that's got to be something much, much more. God reminds the people through Moses in that first reading that you need to be kind to the stranger and the sojourner, to the immigrant and the exile, because once you were strangers and sojourners too in Egypt, 
This principle, whereby two peoples otherwise unrelated to one another experience a kind of kinship, is known as solidarity. And as we shift from our kind of devotional month of the rosary in October to to the church's social teaching during the month of November, you're going to hear a lot about solidarity. But solidarity is where kinship is established between people that otherwise needn't be kin. They choose to do so for the sake of some greater good. Those of you that are students of 20th century history know that it was the solidarity movement more than anything else that led to the liberation of Poland and ultimately to the fall of the Soviet Union. So this stuff is powerful. And it's so powerful, it's so, its potency is so strong in our lives that it not only leads us to live and lead in solidarity with people on the other side of the world, like today, say, in Gaza or in Israel or closer to home, just over in Maine. No, it leads us to live in solidarity even with the dead. Even with the dead. Which is why we keep the feasts of this week so sincerely and so solemnly. We keep all saints and we keep all souls because the bonds of love which unite us in life cannot be destroyed by anything so shallow as death. Because all the claim death has over us, whatever it exercises over our bodies and our fears and our lives, those have all been broken by the one who conquered death by death. And it is for this reason that we call him Jesus Christ, our King. This is why all saints and all souls are the only feasts that that get to parallel the Triduum. Hmm? So the Holy Triduum during, during Easter week, when ordinarily we'd be doing baptisms and confirmations, right? Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. What do we have here? Halloween, saints and souls. This is by design. Because what happens to this little one today and what's sealed in this bigger one today is not politeness. It's not even piety or respectfulness towards God. No, what happens here is these parents and godparents choose to incorporate little Hogan into Jesus into his life and into his body. They establish kinship or solidarity between their child and God's child. They claim their own experience of baptism. The grace is first given them at the font. They name the faith, hope, and charity that drives their lives, and they commit themselves to passing it on to those most important to them. And Lucas who will be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, will have us, me, the church, confirm what we see in him as the authentic faith, the orthodox faith, the faith handed on by the lives of the saints. In the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're made permanent kin with God. We live in solidarity now, not only with every human being who has ever lived or died, but with God himself, which is why we dare to come and eat at his table and how we can claim his mother as our own.
This is why we end every rosary, and the church has us end every day, officially, with that ancient lullaby. It's a good way to end your day, too. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercies, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this veil of tears. Turn then, O our most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, 